November 11th, May 8th, August 15th, July 4th. But all these dates have in common. It's trivia night. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. These are days. Uh, some of them are actually national holidays. They are set apart for days of celebration, days of joy, days of feasting and partying to remember the victories won by the American military over our enemies. November 11th is Veterans Day or Armistice Day, depending upon where you're from. It's a federal holiday to honor all veterans, but, on this, but it's on this day in particular because on November 11th, 1918, World War I ended, which meant the end of the violence Germany had unleashed upon Europe. It meant the end of oppression. It meant victory over evil. And therefore, we had to have a day of celebration and remembrance. May 8th is VE Day. That's Victory in Europe Day that celebrates the day in 1945 when the German troops throughout all of Europe laid down their arms. It was the first massive victory in World War II. And then on August 15th, which is VJ Day, that's Victory in Japan. And on that day in 1945, Imperial Japan surrendered to the Allied forces, which meant the end of the deadliest war in history. And people flooded the streets to celebrate. Gave us that iconic picture in Times Square. Remember of the sailor kissing the nurse? The point is, friends, a great victory demands a great celebration. We have to celebrate. We have to commemorate. We, gotta, we set aside days in perpetuity so that we would never forget what happened and how we won the victory. So today we are finishing our series on the book of Esther. And it ends appropriately with a day of celebration and partying. It ends with a holiday that's called Purim that continues in Jewish communities even today. The people in this space celebrate Purim. It commemorates the victory of God's people over their enemies, over those who sought to destroy them, over evil throughout the whole Persian Empire. Friends, a great victory demands a great celebration. So they set aside a holiday in perpetuity so they never forget what happened and how God gave them the victory. The book of Esther is not over until the party begins. The victory is not complete until it is celebrated. So friends, what if I told you that Christians today should be known as the best partiers? The most joyful celebrators. The people who know how to have a great time in celebration of what God has done for us. Let me ask you, is this the reputation the church has in the world today? Is this how the Christians you know are recognized? It was a friend of C.S. Lewis's, an author by the name of Sheldon Van Auken, who once wrote this. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber, and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Indeed, there are impressive indications that the positive quality of joy is in Christianity and possibly nowhere else. If that were certain, it would be proof of a very high order. I'm afraid that Christians today are known mostly for what we are against not what we are for. 
And one of the things we should be emphatically for is joyful celebration. Why? Because our God has won the greatest victory over the greatest enemies our world has ever known. Sin, death, the evil one himself. Because our story is not over until the party begins. The end of all of history is heading to the same ending as the book of Esther. That is, relief, rest, and feasting. Because the victory is not complete until we celebrate it. Because a great victory demands a great celebration. Therefore, in this last sermon in the book of Esther, I want to help us recover a reputation as the best celebrators, the best partiers, because joy of this kind would be proof of Christianity of a very high order. So I've entitled this last sermon, The Hidden Hand of God and the Great Party. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? This is Esther chapter 9, verse 16, through the end of the book. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that day a, feasting, a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 14th, 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded all these things, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of, Dar, of Adar, and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor." So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pure, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim. After the term pure. Therefore, because of all that was written in the letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what have hap- happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at the, and at the time appointed every year. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city. And that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth. That these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fast and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim 
and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. He was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and he spoke peace to all his people. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I pray you bless these hearers as they listen, and you would pray this speaker as I speak. Lord, that my speech and my message would not be implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. To be seated, please. As we seek today to become a people of joyful celebration, I want to ask four questions from the text that we just read. Who do we celebrate? When do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate? And lastly, how do we celebrate? Who, when, why, and how? Yes, I know there are four points. They're going to be shorter than normal. Hang in there. First of all, who do we celebrate? Now, it would be very easy to read the story of Esther and conclude at the end of all things that the heroes are Esther and Mordecai, right? That's a fair argument. Now, don't get me wrong, they are incredibly important in this story. Esther risked her life multiple times on behalf of her people and is so incredibly cunning to take down Haman, the antagonist. And Mordecai is brilliant in getting this counter decree out that turns the whole story around. In fact, if you notice, the last word of the entire story is about Mordecai. Chapter 10, verse 3, For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people, and he spoke peace to all his people. What a legacy for Mordecai, right? He sought the welfare of his people, and he spoke peace to his people. If that were said of any of us, it would be a life well lived, right? Esther and Mordecai are are, are integral to the story. But friends, even they realize in the end that God is the real hero. And they give credit where credit is due. They know God is the one who orchestrated everything behind the scenes to put Esther and Mordecai in the right place at the right time. It is God who gave them success in everything they did. It is God who gave them the victory. And really, friends, that's the whole point of the book of Esther. As you know, famously, even though God is not named once on any page of this book, he is not absent for a single second. Even though, even though there's not one miracle in the entire story, God is at work under every single coincidence. As the famous quote says, coincidence is when God works a miracle and chooses to remain anonymous. Friends, God is the one who is celebrated And this is evidenced by the name of the festival. It's not called Esther Day. It's not called the Feast of Mordecai. It's called Purim. Purim is the plural word of the word pure, which verse 24 explains is the Persian word for the lot or the dice that Haman cast to decide which day to carry out his plan to destroy the Jewish people. That's kind of a weird name for a party, isn't it? 
It's a strange name. It's named after the method of deciding their death. But friends, upon further consideration, this is brilliant. Think about it. It begs the question of who really is in control of history. Is it King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus, with all his wealth and his power? Is it Haman, with all his pride and his rage? Is it Esther, who somehow rises to become queen of Persia? Can any of these people control how the dice is cast? The answer is no. In the end, they are mere mortals. Despite any appearance to the contrary, only God controls the results of the dice and of all of history. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is who we celebrate. God and God alone. Because his is the hidden hand that guides all the affairs of history for the good of his people. He is the one who is at work every second of every single day to preserve his people and to build his kingdom. You are safe and secure in him alone. Because behind every random roll of the dice is the sovereign and good hand of God. Listen, friends, I don't know the details of your story. But if you belong to Jesus, I know this. I know who will be the hero of your story in the end. It will be God. Through all the times that he felt absent or quiet. Through all the pain and confusion about why things happened the way that they did. If you belong to Jesus, I can say with confidence, you will one day look back and say with Joseph, who said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You can say with the Apostle Paul, I know, like in the core of my being, I know that those who love God, all things work together for good. What a celebration it will be when we look back and say, he has done all things well. Who do we celebrate? We celebrate God. Secondly, when do we celebrate? Well, the first Purim was celebrated on the day after victory, whichever day that was. Notice there's two different days. For those outside the capital city, they got relief from the enemies on the 13th of Adar, and so they hold the 14th day as a day of feasting and gladness. But for those in the capital of Susa, the battle went on for two days. So they got relief from their enemies on the 14th of Adar, and so they make the 15th day a day of feasting of gladness. This is why even today, Purim is celebrated over two days. Either way, the point is that the time for celebration is right after the victory is won. It's when relief and rest has come to you from the hand of God. You celebrate when the threat of death has passed. But then immediately, Esther and Mordecai send out letters to all the Jews throughout the whole Persian Empire that obligates them to celebrate Purim every year, without fail. Look again at verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. I love how they don't really have a choice. 
<laughs> Verse 21 says Mordecai obliges them to celebrate. Verse 31 says that Mordecai and Queen Esther ob- obligated them, and then they obligated themselves and their children. Verse 27 says the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the, at the time appointed every year. And again, verse 28 says that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews. Friends, this is obligatory partying. <laughs> Obligatory partying. No need to send out invitations or ask for RSV, RSVPs. You're going. Every year, without fail. The 14th and the 15th of Adar, every year for every generation. And friends, almost 2,500 years later, the Jews are still celebrating their deliverance from death in the festival of Purim. And it's some people's favorite holiday. It's a wonderfully joyous party. So let me ask you, Christians, what is the day for you? when the victory was won? What is the day when you received relief and rest from your enemies of sin and death? What is the day when the threat of death had passed from you? Is it not Resurrection Day? Is it not the first Easter Sunday? When Christ emerged from the tomb, this is the day that your victory was secured in Christ. This is like VJ Day for Christians. This is the day when Christ overcame the evil one who plotted to destroy you, our greatest enemy, Satan. This is the day when Christ pulled off the greatest reversal in the history of the world. Death thought it defeated Jesus, but it was Jesus who defeated death by his own death. This is the day when you got relief from the consequences of your sins. As Jesus died for your sins and rose again for your justification. This is the day when you got rest. And now you can rest in the perfect righteousness of Christ on your behalf. This is the day that turns your sorrow into gladness and your mourning into a holiday. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. You are obligated to celebrate this festival. Not just every year, but every week, every Sunday, to the feast of the victory of our God. This is obligatory partying at its best. You do know this is why Christians worship on Sundays, right? The Christian Sabbath was moved to Sunday to correspond to Resurrection Day. Because every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of God's victory over sin, death, and hell given to us as a gift received by faith alone. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Set it apart. It's a day of feasting and gladness, of giving gifts of food to each other and gifts to the poor. That's why we take an offering. What if we did this? What if we came to church expecting a party? What if we shouted hallelujahs instead of muttering them? What if we sang like we didn't care who else is listening? What if we lifted our hand and even said amen back to the preacher? Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> what if we made Sunday the most special day of the week? The best food and drink and dessert? Extra dessert. All the best things of God's world because Christ is risen. New creation has begun. Well, I'd imagine we might just be a more contagiously joyful people who know who and when to celebrate. We celebrate God and we do it every single Sunday. And before we leave this point, 
We celebrate even when things are not yet fully as they should be. I love this one little verse that doesn't seem to belong. You might have noticed it yourself. Chapter 10, verse 1. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. What in the world is that doing there? In an otherwise exuberant chapter. It's just reminding us that even while the Jews are celebrating, everything is not yet as it should be. Haman is dead. The Jews have been saved, but King Ahasuerus is still king. He's still taxing people into oblivion. Nevertheless, we praise him still. In the words of Habakkuk 3, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Thirdly, let's ask, why do we celebrate? Brothers and sisters, we celebrate to remember the story. To remember who God is and what he's done so that we never forget who we are so that we live out of the right story. Notice that Mordecai's letter in verse 24 and following, he rehearses the entire story. He summarizes the whole ordeal. If if this is your first uh, sermon in the Esther series, just read those verses and you'll get the gist of the story. It's in the letter. Even today, when the Jews celebrate Purim, they read the entire book of Esther out loud together. They boo and they hiss when Haman's name is mentioned. They cheer when Mordecai's name is said. The whole point, friends, is to remember the story. Because if you forget the story... If you forget God and what he's done, then you'll also forget who you are. You'll be tempted to live out of a different story. That's why God gave his people all these different feasts and festivals in the Old Testament to help them remember, to help them never forget the most important things. Listen to how Judges 8, 33 to 34 puts it. It says, As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and hoard after the Baals, and made Baal Barith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Do you hear that? There's a direct correlation between forgetting God and turning to idols. A direct correlation. As soon as the Israelites forgot how God had delivered them from their enemies, they turned and they made Baal Barith their God. Because forgetting leads to idolatry. It leads to following other gods. It leads to living for a different story. And brothers and sisters, so it is with us. As soon as we forget what God has done for us in Christ, we start to serve other gods. Whether it be the God of comfort, or success, or pleasure, or even religiosity. We start to live for a different story than the story of God and his kingdom. That's why we have to remember. If you've been around Resurrection for any time, you may have noticed that we celebrate all these things throughout the year, like Advent and Epiphany and Easter for seven Sundays and All Saints Day. If you didn't grow up around this, you probably think it's a little weird. It is. Keep Christians weird, though, right, Danny? If you grew up Catholic or Episcopal, you probably think we're lightweights. Like, what is this? trifling about. Friends, why do we do this? Is it because of tradition? Is it because it's kind of 
becoming cool again? Absolutely not. We do this because our job is to help every one of you live for no other story than Christ and his kingdom. And the only way to do that is to immerse ourselves in the story year after year, Sunday after Sunday, so that we remember. This is why we're going to tell you this gospel story every single Sunday. That's why we take communion every single Sunday, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, so you don't forget. Everything we do is to help you remember who God is and what he's done in Christ for you. Friends, so that you remember who you are. A beloved, forgiven, accepted son or daughter of God with a mission to love and serve the world. So I have a challenge for you. If you're new to resurrection, if this is your first time, you're like, why is everybody speaking to each other? I don't understand this. Speaking in unison. Or if you've been here for a while and you're not sort of into this churchier stuff, my challenge is try it out. Lean into it. Orient your life around Christ and his story. And see if it doesn't make his love sweeter and your faith deeper. Who do we celebrate? We celebrate God. When do we celebrate? Every Sunday and even when things are not fully right. Why do we celebrate? To remember God's story. And lastly, how do we celebrate? With a party. That is in a word, lavish. Purim is a party where everything is in abundance. Notice, joy is in abundance. Because their sorrow had been turned to gladness, their mourning into a holiday. Food and drink are in abundance. There was feasting and gifts of food for one another. That's, that's my holiday, sending food to one another. Let's do it. In the Jewish Talmud, there is this provocative passage that instructs the Jews to drink wine on Purim until they can't tell the difference between the phrases, Cursed is Ammon and Blessed is Mordecai. <laughs> I believe that is sanctioned drunkenness. Friends, generosity was in abundance. The people gave gifts to the poor. Friends, a great victory demands a great celebration. A lavish salvation demands a lavish party. Because our God is the God of abundance. He spared nothing in creating the world in all its stunning beauty. And he spared nothing in redeeming the world. Didn't even spare his own son, which he freely gave him up for us all. Our God is the God who throws parties for prodigal sons who return home. The last thing you want to be is the older brother who stands outside complaining about the costs. If you have tasted of this feast, of the lavish love of your heavenly Father, then you become lavish just like him. You're abundant in joy and feasting and in generosity. So here's what I want to do. I've been thinking about this through the whole series. I think this is the most fitting way to close out the book of Esther because I knew it ends with a party. October 1st is a special day for resurrection. If you don't know, it'll be our fourth birthday as a church. We had our very first public worship service on October 1st, 2017. And last year on the Sunday closest to that date, October 4th, we had our organization service where we ordained and installed our very first elders to become a self-governing particular church. Friends, we have much to celebrate as a church. Even though almost half our existence now has been under a global pandemic, we're still here. Even though the enemy would love nothing more than to destroy a branch of Christ's church, we're still standing. 
And it's only by the grace of God. Believe me, it's only by the grace of God. In the words of Eugene Peterson, who write, if we are found beautiful, if we are permitted to live for another day, if we escape hate and rejection, it is because of the mercy and the providence of God. And friends, you have much to celebrate too. You have survived and are surviving a global pandemic. Even though the enemy would love nothing more than to shipwreck your faith, you're still standing by the mercy and the providence of God. Therefore, on October 1st, we're going to throw a Purim-like party. Friday night, October 1st, it's going to be at Hop House Brewery in Fitchburg. We've reserved the patio and a private room, and we're going to celebrate. And celebrate the real hero of our stories, which is God and God alone. We're going to remember who God is and what he's done for us. We're going to celebrate, even though things are not yet as they should be. Because it's vital to our survival. We're going to have a night of feasting and gladness and abundance. You can send gifts of food to one another by buying an appetizer for the party. (laughs) You can send gifts to the poor. We're going to choose a relief effort from one of the recent natural disasters, and we're going to send financial help. Friends, we're going to party. Because Christ has conquered the greatest enemies of sin and hell and death for us. And a great victory demands a great party. There it is. That's how we're going to end Esther, by partying together. I hope you'll join us on October 1st. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are fully aware that things are not fully as they should be in your world. Though we hear of wars, we hear of sickness, we know of sickness. Lord, we hear of, of natural disasters all over the place. Your world is hurting, and yet, Lord, we are the people who believe that you have won the victory. That you struck the death blow when you rose from the dead, Christ. And even now, your kingdom is advancing until one day, one day, you will be complete. And you will wipe every tear from every eye. And we will feast with you. Lord, speed the day. And until that day, make us a people who, despite all the evidence to the contrary, are your joyful people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.